Hello and welcome to this long overdue edition of the Lakers Side Chats. I'm your host as always, Alan Ramich. We've got a fantastic guest on, returning guest. He was on just before the season started. Trevor Lane, senior writer for Lakers Nation, got his own podcast. He's really, really good at what he does. Trevor, welcome to the show, sir. How are you? Hey, thanks, Alan. I'm uh, I'm good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Nice to be recording before 3 a.m. or something stupid like that. So <laughs> I'm happy. I'm happy right now. Uh, let's just get into it. Um, last Laker game was Sunday evening against the Minnesota Timberwolves. We dealt with business really well there. 142-125 at home. What was your biggest impression from that game? Um, just by how in control the Lakers seemed, it felt like they had that game in hand from the get-go. I mean, even when the Timberwolves would make a little run, I think they even took like a one-point lead at one point. It, it never felt like like the Lakers weren't going to win that game. Like they were just they were the more talented team. They were the better team. They it felt like they were in control at all times. It was like it was like when you're racing a younger sibling. Right. And every time they start to catch up a little bit, you just speed up just enough to, to beat them. You're not doing a full sprint or anything. That's kind of what the Lakers were doing. Anytime the Timberwolves would score a few points, they'll go, OK, all right, we'll stop messing around. We'll play a little bit better for another spurt. And then they would would increase the, the distance between themselves and the Wolves. So it was good to see because the Timberwolves are very much a an average NBA team. They're middle of the pack. It's just it's what they are. And the Lakers showed that they are they're clearly head and shoulders a better basketball team than that. And, uh, and yeah, I, I just, I like that they were, they were in control the entire game and, uh, and that's something that we haven't seen in a while. Oh, and I agree. It's, it's a common theme amongst this season. Though. I don't know if you agree with me, especially with these weaker teams. I know Minnesota is considerably better than the Memphises of the world. However, Lakers have done just enough in these games where we've gotten better right now. They're starting to blow teams out a bit more regularly. However, there's this theme now coming across that the Lakers will do just enough to win the game and they'll do whatever they can to preserve. It's load management in-game, which is a hot topic in you know NBA circles right now, as you well know, the whole load management thing. But I feel like the Lakers are doing a really good job of that. And the biggest thing that I took out of it was how good we were in that three-minute spell where LeBron was on four fouls in the second quarter. Uh, it was it was fantastic to see that we're we're a team that's not wholly reliant on both superstars right now playing out of their skin. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was I was definitely nervous when that happened when LeBron went out with that that fourth foul. Thought, oh gosh, here we go. We're gonna see long stretches without LeBron. We know the Lakers have struggled during that time, and they were able to step it up. And we're talking about not just no LeBron, but no Rondo as well. No Rajon Rondo, who would normally be, look, if LeBron's not going to be on the floor, you probably want Rondo to be out there, to be your ball handler and be a creator and do those sorts of things. Um, not that he can do it at LeBron James levels, but just because he can he can kind of fill that role. So they didn't have either guy, and they were still able to to uh, to beat the Wolves. It wasn't even it wasn't like the Wolves were gaining a bunch of ground or anything like that. They um, they were able to handle it. Um, they you know there were spurts here and there, but. Uh, I was impressed because that's been a weakness for the Lakers since the season started. His, his non-LeBron minutes have not looked good. And in this game, they, they did just fine. Well, last year, this was a game we lose. I don't know if you agree with that. But this is a game where we'd be comfortable. And then LeBron, if he got into that foul trouble this time last year, we'd lose this game by about 15, 20 points because we just wouldn't be strong enough without him. And 
We'll get on to AD a bit more after this. But the fact that we do have an Anthony Davis and I think our supporting cast is a lot stronger as well around them too. It's just so big. <laughs> you know, like, pardon the pun because obviously he's a big, but like, it's huge having a player of AD's quality. Like, he's honestly, he's the best. I don't know if you agree with me, but he's the best big man in the league. It's not close. Yeah, I think his his versatility allows him to to be that because he's not just a big. He can get out and defend on the on the perimeter as well. You look at some of the matchups that he's got where teams try to go small, and so you've got uh, you've got a game where well, like against the Wolves, you've got Towns in the post and he's being dealt with by uh, by Javale McGee or by Dwight Howard, and there were moments where Anthony Davis defended him as well. But uh, but you're start, starting off with Javale McGee or Dwight Howard on there, and then you've got uh, AD defending Robert Covington and, and vice versa on the other side, you've got a guy like Robert Covington defending Anthony Davis. And you think, well, gosh, Covington is so, is so small. Not that he's a good player, but a, a wing can't really defend Anthony Davis. He's just too big. But then on the flip side, wings aren't going to just eat up Anthony Davis with outside shots because he's that good defending on the perimeter. He can, he can guard guys almost as well out there as he can in the paint. So it's almost a little bit unfair. It's not like you can get away with going small against the Lakers and rack up points that way. If the Lakers want to match you, Anthony Davis is going to be faster than whoever your top big is. He's going to be more skilled, more agile. Uh, so he gives the Lakers a huge advantage, whether he's the four, whether he's the five. It doesn't matter. He is is so incredible, and he's got that insane wingspan. I don't know if you saw it the other night, uh, but he blocked a shot from out of bounds. He was standing like the ref should have called it. The ball should have been out of bounds, but the ref didn't call. I think because he didn't believe that it was possible. He's standing out of bounds, and he reaches onto the floor and still blocked a shot. Like it's it's incredible. You know, we saw him we saw him from a distance as a pelican, and everybody thought, wow, you know, he's he's really really good. But I don't think anybody quite understood just how talented this guy is until we got to see him on a night-to-night basis. And it is it is absolutely incredible. And I don't know what you think, but I feel like the nerves have settled down within the past 10 games or so. He's not trying as hard as he was to get up 20 shots a game. He's just letting it come to him. And I think that I saw a stat where in the months of October and towards the late of November... He was averaging 48%, but from the past 10 games onwards, he's averaging 62% from the field. And like when you have a player of AD's quality scoring at that efficiency, it's too difficult for the opposing team to just counteract anything that, you know. Yeah, and you know, I don't I don't have the numbers right in front of me, but based on the eye test, I think the reason why you've seen that is is we've seen what appears to be less of the turnaround jumpers in the post, less of the, of the fadeaways. Those were really killing his field goal percentage because he was settling for those shots as you know the clock's winding down. He's fading away um, off the wrong leg, Dirk Nowitzki style, and trying to hit these these really, really tough shots. And we've seen less of that. We've seen more face-up jumpers where he's he's got his shoulders square to the basket and he's been making more a higher percentage of those. And part of that was just a positive regression to the mean. Or when he's in the post, he, he's spinning off of guys and he's getting to the rim. So rather than these shots where he's, you know, turning over the shoulder and, and firing a shot up there, he's either already square to the basket and taking a 15 footer rather than a, you know, 10 foot or 11 foot turnaround or he's getting himself to the rim. So I think that's that's really helped his efficiency. And that was something that um, 
that you could see needed to happen. And I'm glad that the coaching staff was able to, to kind of fix those, uh, those situations. So he doesn't wind himself, put himself in those spots as often. No, I agree. And we'll get onto the coaching stuff as well afterwards, but with AD, it's refreshing. I mean, we've had LeBron now, it's the second year. So it's not like we've not had a superstar for ages. But how refreshing is it to see a superstar in their prime back in L.A.? I feel like it feels like it was so long ago, but it really wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it it wasn't, but it was. I mean, look, it, like <laughs> Lakers fans live and die with this team. Like it's not there's not a whole lot of Lakers fans that are just I know Lakers fans get a bad rep, right, for being you know casual fans or being bandwagoners and all that kind of stuff. But man, from my experience, Lakers fans are are diehards these are these are fans that that care about this team they follow this team they follow every little move and sure there are casual fans and there are bandwagoners there's all those things mixed in because the lakers have a giant fan base but a lot of lakers fans really really do tune in for every single game or watching every player following all the moves all of that so when you're when you're that kind of a fan this stretch of not having a top player, of not being a playoff team, not being a contender, you can say compared to a team like like whatever, like the Kings or, or whoever, yeah, it's not as long of a stretch as they've had where they haven't been relevant. But for Lakers fans, it sure has felt long. It's felt like a long time because they're so emotionally invested in this team. No, it's, I, I know it in myself, and I'm sure you agree with me as well. I feel like the past six years has made my bond with the Lakers even stronger. I don't know if you agree with that, but it, I absolutely feel that way. I feel like I'm, I love the Lakers even more for what we went through to get to this stage. And again, we always preface it like it really wasn't that long, but for us, it felt like eternity. <laughs> oh, sure. It makes you appreciate it because you've been through those, those tough times. And that's, you know, that's not just basketball, that's life. You go through tough times and it makes you appreciate the good times. It's, it's the way, the way it is. Sometimes we can take things for granted when it's just something that we've always had. And so always having a good Lakers team for, you know, I mean, I, I was born in 1982. So I've I've grown up with good Lakers teams for most of my life. I, you know, I had the Showtime era when I was a, a kid, even when the Lakers were bad. We weren't that bad. They had Nick Van Exel and Sedale Threet and, and Cedric Sabalos and all those guys. And then comes Shaq and Kobe. So, you know, it took these these last six years of struggling to to kind of feel like okay we made it through something we made it through some difficult times a bad decision watching the franchise struggle and now the fact that they are good again i feel like it it, it almost it it means more because of of what they've had to to deal with in order to get to this point uh, i agree with you 100 percent. to touch on how good we are i feel like we're the best team in the nba uh, I don't know if that's a bold comment because, you know, if we look at ESPN still and other talking heads, they still want to, you know, don't get me wrong. I think the Clippers are still going to be really, really good at the end of the season. I think if whatever, I don't know how that series will go, but I think it goes seven games regardless. But I do feel like we're the best right now. I don't know what you think, but. Yeah, I mean, I think looking across the league, I think you've got three teams that are that are better than everybody else and you've got and that's the bucks the lakers and the clippers and and you can put them in whatever order you want you can make arguments for any of those teams and we'll find out a lot in in the next few weeks here because the lakers are going to play the bucks and the lakers are going to play the clippers but um i think those three right now are, are the top 
I think you can definitely make an argument for the Lakers because of this record that they've got right now at 21 and three, uh, because of how good their defense has been, because of their chemistry and, and all of those things. Uh, so I think that they certainly are, if not the best, they're definitely one of the best. I think they're one of the top three. And you've got a few teams that are kind of on the outside trying to claw their way in. You've got the Houston Rockets. You've got, uh, I mean, the Dallas Mavericks have been really, really good this season. Uh, the Philadelphia 76ers, I think, still have a lot of potential, even though they're not in that group right now. I think they very well could end the season in there. The Boston Celtics are knocking at the door, me. unfortunately. Um, so there's a lot of teams in that group. But, but yeah, look, if you said definitively, yes, the Lakers are the best team in the NBA. I don't think anybody can point to you and say, and say, no, that's wrong. I think objectively you can look at, at three, maybe even four teams that are, that could be considered the best right now. And the Lakers are certainly up there, maybe even the favorite right now to be considered the very best. No, I agree with you. I just wanted to touch on that. Going back to AD though, the talent on this guy, I always use the um, comp that he's a better Kevin Garnett, and don't get me wrong, KG's first ballot Hall of Famer, one of the best five power forwards to ever play the game. But I feel like AD, especially if he wins multiple titles with the Lakers, I feel like there's a very strong, excuse me, there's a very strong possibility that he can end up the best power forward to ever play the game. I don't know your opinion on that, but I feel like the talent with this guy, especially seeing him up close every single game, is just I've not seen this in his prime since Kobe and Shaq, you know, in the early 2000s. Well, I kind of wonder if we're going to consider him the best power forward of the game. And obviously, like, it's he's got a long ways to go. I mean, he has zero championships at this point. And of course, that's going to be something that's that's looked at. Uh, he's an incredible player. No, no question there. But the question is, what does he do now? Is he able to win championships with the Lakers? Yes, that would probably put him in the mix. But if we're talking best power forward in the game... I think your your answer there is probably Tim Duncan, who started with the Spurs team that was that was pretty good right out of the gate. Um, so he was you know contending pretty much his entire career. So I think it may be a little bit tough to top top Duncan in terms of of what Anthony Davis can do. Uh, looking at Garnett, kind of similar situations, right? Garnett toiled away in Minnesota uh, for years and years and years, could never break through, made it to the Western Conference Finals once against the Lakers. He was incredible. I want to say that was his MVP season, but I could be wrong there. But, uh, you know, Garnett didn't really start winning championships or until he made that move to the, the Celtics, until he got traded. And then he was, you know, towards the latter stages of, of his career at that point. And so Garnett, you know, he's I, I, I think he's comparable to Anthony Davis. And I think Davis could certainly wind up being better. I think his physical tools, you could argue, are better than Garnett's. But Garnett's mentality was so great. He was just that that is so determined, so focused all the time, so fired up. Uh, and, and so I don't know that we've seen that side of the game from Anthony Davis, and I'm not saying it's not there, but we we haven't seen him in the, those tense playoff moments where you know Garnett is going to bring it. I want to see Anthony Davis in those situations, but I think you're absolutely, absolutely right that the potential is there when all is said and done for us to look at Anthony Davis and go, yes, that guy is better than Kevin Garnett and could be right there as the best power power forward ever. The, the, the thing I always hated with Kevin Garnett was, I always found the dude so likable, mm-hmm. but he played for the Celtics. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was always that, the worst thing with KG. That's the fatal flaw when you put on those that uh, that Boston Celtics jersey. And yeah, then then you just kind of have to naturally 
dislike him. It's that 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 natural repulsion that Lakers fans have from somewhere somewhere <laughs> deep in our souls. We feel that. Yeah, because I always found KG really likable. His game is so easy to. He was so emotional. It's beautiful defensive play. His offensive game was so good as well. You know, it's just a really easy person to like fall in love with. You know, as a basketball player. But then, like you said, as soon as he puts on that Boston green, that irrational hate just clicks in. <laughs> <laughs> definitely, definitely, it's uh, it's just a natural thing. There's no way to stop it either. It's just, it's, it's what happens. It'll be there forever. It'll be there forever. <laughs> yeah, so, mortal enemies. You know, it's it's uh, it's like if I don't know if uh, if Spider-Man runs into Doctor Octopus, right? Those are, there's gonna be there are gonna be enemies forever. It's just it's the way it goes. Yeah, it's just the status quo of life. I just want to touch on you know we've had about so it's been about almost six months now since the trade was executed. Looking back in hindsight. You know, everyone tries to make out it's a monster deal, etc., etc. And it very well could be if AD ends up leaving, which I don't think he will. And I'm sure you're in the same mind as well, where you don't think he's going to leave after this summer. Um, what do you make of how much the Lakers gave up at, at this point? You know, you know, we've seen Brandon Ingram do fantastically well. Lonzo Ball, not so much. Josh Hart's been Josh Hart. Um, but obviously... I feel like I do this trade a million times out of a million because wherever it's led to, I don't know what you think, but you know. Yeah. So if you look at the trade itself, obviously we don't know what those picks are going to turn into or if the pick swap is going to matter. It may not. I mean, look, that's, that's one of the things that's in there, right? Is they've got um, off the top of my head, I don't have it in front of me, but they've got the Lakers uh, 2021 pick and it's protected one through eight. So they only get the pick if it's one through eight. And then it's 2022, they get that pick if they don't get the 2021 pick. And the way things look right now, it seems unlikely the Lakers would pick would fall one through eight. So most likely the Lakers pick keep that pick. Uh, then they have a pick swap in 2023 uh, available, which could be nothing. If the Lakers pick is worse than the Pelicans pick, then that pick swap is, is worthless. It, it means nothing, um, which, again, would look likely right now, but who knows how things look then. And then in 2024, they get the Lakers pick, but they can defer that to 2025 if they want. So the Pelicans kind of control the Lakers draft uh, for quite a while here. Uh, but still, given what the Lakers got, they got a guy who is an MVP candidate right now, who is probably the favorite to win the defensive player of the year. And it's still early. There's still plenty of basketball left to be played. But just so far, looking at the returns, you can say that this was this was a good move. I mean, the Lakers look like a surefire contender. There's no, I think there's no question they're a championship contender right now. And they weren't before they made the trade. And there's only so many there's only so much time you have with LeBron James and you have to maximize that. So you can't really fault them for doing the trade. Um, I think there's there's no question there. It was a move they needed to make. Now, the one thing that you can kind of quibble with is you look at how much they paid, um, giving up Brandon Ingram, giving up Josh Hart, giving up Lonzo Ball, giving up all those future assets, which has made it so that this year they can't trade their, their first round pick this summer because they don't know if they're going to have their 2021 pick or not. And per the, the Stepien rule, you can't trade consecutive picks. So what that all means is that the Lakers are going to be a li little bit limited on the trade market now. Um, that's not necessarily saying that's a bad thing. I'm not saying that you don't do the deal. I'm saying that what would have been nice is if the Lakers had come up with some way to not pay quite as much. Not necessarily that that they lost the deal or anything like that. You got Anthony Davis. You won the deal in that respect. But 
Um, given that there weren't a lot of teams out there with huge offers for Anthony Davis, because the Lakers were just about the only team that he wanted to play for, I would have liked to have seen them find a way to hang on to one more asset just so they would have something in the war chest to use come the trade deadline this year um, for when you need that extra extra piece because they can't really grease the wheels of a of a deal with any sort of draft pick. They even traded away their next three second round picks and other deals. So um, so that's going to be the challenge. But look, bottom line, if you told me the Lakers have to give up all this stuff in order to get Anthony Davis or the other option is just no Anthony Davis and you keep all this stuff, then yeah, you absolutely, you give up everything they gave up and you get Anthony Davis. So that's, uh, that's where I'm at with it. It was a trade they had to make. If I'm going to nitpick, I would like to see them keep one more asset out of that, that they could have used as a trade chip, um, whether it was a pick or whatever. But you know, at the end of the day, they got Anthony Davis. You got to be happy with that. And then it'll be on, on Rob Palenka in the front office to make the rest of their assets uh, work to the most, to the best of their ability. Um, I don't know how you feel about that, but I have a lot of confidence still in our scouting system. I don't know if you've been keeping on top of South Bay's games. Mm-hmm. Taylor Horton Tucker, while I don't think he's ready to contribute yet, he looks really, really good. For an 18-year-old, he looks really good. Yeah, um, he, he actually got into a game the other night. I think it was against the Wolves. Yeah. Um, the very end, he got in for like you know two, three minutes, something like that. Uh, he's, yeah, he's super young. I was very, very surprised when they drafted him and maybe it's just a clutch sports thing. Maybe it was that connection there that they were kind of tuned into him more than some other teams might be. But, uh, I was shocked. I thought for sure, like we knew the rumors were the Lakers were going to try to buy a second round pick. Um, that had been out there for a little while. And so it wasn't a surprise at all to see them buy a second round pick. Um, I assumed that they would be looking to pick someone who was older and ready to contribute right away. Go get like a like a Larry Nance Jr. type player, somebody who mm-hmm. has has played four years in college or three years in college and therefore was dropping on draft boards because t- people tend to overvalue upside. And the Lakers would swoop in and grab somebody like that and then be able to use them as kind of a plug and play um, piece for this year. But instead, they went young. And look, Taylor Horton Tucker has done some great things in the G League. I think he's interesting with his wingspan and his skill set. Um, but I've been been cautioning people all year. Don't expect a lot out of him this year. Don't say, oh, you know, the wing player the la- that's going to fix the Lakers and give them another another wing piece is uh, is, is Taylor Horton Tucker. He's so young. It's going to take him time to get his legs under him and figure out the NBA game. That's going to take at least a few seasons to get that all sorted. But overall, yeah, I think he's a, an interesting pick, and uh, I'm excited to see what he can eventually become. Who knows? Maybe he's he'll be a, a piece for the future. I, I just don't think we can expect him to come in and do a whole heck of a lot right now. I know I agree with you. I think this the start we've had and, you know, the way we've played, it's actually been perfect for him to just develop as a player. You know, alongside Zach Novellas even as well, like all these young guys are actually getting they're not there's no pressure on them to contribute at the NBA level. So they just have to concentrate on actually improving as players and then they'll be able to contribute in the future, which I think is a huge thing as well. Yeah, if you can get those guys lined up and in the pipeline, then having them, you know, the G League is supposed to eventually become kind of like a farm system type thing like we see in in baseball. Um, Not that they're going to have the different levels or that it's ever going to be as um, as huge as as baseball's is. But the G League, I think, can become a, a very nice place for the Lakers to go develop players and get them in their system. And, and if you do that and you do it the right way, you never know. You can you can get some guys. Look, Alex Caruso, 
fought his way up through the G League. This is a guy who's now playing a major role on the Lakers because they spent the time to, to develop him with the South Bay Lakers. And so this can can be an asset for them, and hopefully Horton Tucker is able to get uh, enough minutes there in the G League to develop and then can become a, an asset for the Lakers moving forward. No, I agree. And one part of that which will be vital is the coaching. And I just want to touch on Frank Vogel and how impressive he's been with decisions he's made, the adjustments he's made mid-game as well from game to game as well on top of that, the cohesion he has with the team, how everyone seems to have bought in with Frank Vogel as well. Like, I'm really impressed with what he's done. And it's, I know it's 24 games in, but I feel like it's a, enough of a sample size to be really impressed with what he's done. Yeah, I think Vogel, I mean, look, heading into this season, we had been, the question had been, how long until Jason Kidd takes over? <laughs> right? Like, that's that was a, a real thing. People were saying Kidd's going to be 100%. chomping at the bit, trying to get that spot. and And right now, Vogel's not going anywhere. I mean, he was just coach of the month. He's, I think his, and this is a credit to his entire coaching staff, not just him, but the in-game adjustments have been great. You know, there's been, sure, there's some mistakes here and here and there, but that's that's natural. But I think he's done a really nice job adjusting on the fly, uh, finding mismatches and things like that, finding things that work, and then sticking with the hot hand. I think he's done a really good job there. You look at the way he's uh, he's fostered the chemistry within this team. And again, there's a lot of credit to the players as well for doing this. LeBron James, Anthony Davis, uh, Kyle Kuzma, these guys kind of bringing the team together. But uh, but Vogel as well is part of creating the chemistry and the um, the sort of aura that's around the team right now. And, and you look at the, the way that he's treated his players. You look at the way that he's made them decision makers. You know, when he uh, when the Lakers were playing the Pelicans and it came time to challenge a call, he didn't make the decision. He let Contavious Caldwell-Pope and LeBron James, who were standing right there, make the decision. He asked them flat out, did you foul him? And when KCP said no, challenge it, he said, okay, challenge it. He trusted his player. And that's something that you don't see every coach do. So uh, on multiple levels, I've been very, very impressed with Frank Vogel. So, so far he's been a, a great success and we'll, we'll see how he, how the rest of the season plays out. But, um, but right now uh, you have to be happy with th- this coaching staff. Well, the example I use, I think it was on the summer when you were on the podcast, the Lakers didn't need particularly a coach who was maybe as good as X's and O's as some people are, which I've no doubt that Frank Vogel's good at. Like I, I'm not doubting that for a second, you know, like, I think the Lakers primarily needed a custodian in there who knows how to manage egos and personalities and knows how to be just like the grown-up in the room that the Lakers seem to have missed the past two years prior to him joining. And I feel like he was a huge get just for that. I, I don't know what your vibe on that is, but I feel like he's been great in whichever interview he's been. He's always, you know... He's always delegated the chair, but then taken on the blame himself, you know, for decisions. He's been really good at, you know, just being a great head coach, like in all aspects of the game. And I feel like the the mental side is just as important as the tactical side with head coaching. And I feel like he's been brilliant with that, just getting everyone to buy into it. It's been so vital. Yeah, you know, I don't want to, obviously our, our knee jerk reaction is to compare him to Luke Walton because that was the previous coach. Right. And um, and it's very, very different, obviously. 
And I don't want to say, you know, anything too negative about about Luke, because I still believe that Luke Walton is going to be a good coach in this league. And I think that he's done some good things for the Sacramento Kings over recent weeks after uh, after a rough start. Uh, but yeah, there, there's certainly a difference. And you look at what um, at what Vogel has done, being kind of the adult in the room, like you said, he just he's got that kind of confidence of, hey, I've been here before. I've done this um, with his Indiana Pacers teams. So he's got that experience under his belt. And then they were smart in bringing in a coaching staff that could also have that kind of credibility. You know, Phil Handy and Jason Kidd and and Lionel Hollins and all of these guys with so much experience under their belt that it's it's tough to not have that kind of quiet confidence because, hey, they, they've been there before. They've been in these situations. They've won a lot of basketball games, whereas like Walton's staff didn't really have that. So they're kind of scrambling just because they're getting put into situations that are that are new for them because that you know he's, he's a younger guy and not saying Vogel's old because he's not, um, but uh, but yeah Vogel just kind of has that that confidence about him because he's done all this before, and and so it's great to see. I think that he's been a, a wonderful fit with the Lakers and hopefully it's something that that lasts here. No, I agree. And the biggest thing I used to compare Frank Vogel to was Frank Vogel in Orlando. I don't know if you remember that a lot, but mm-hmm. he just seemed like he sort of lost his way in the NBA, especially that last year in Orlando. And I thought, you know, that would be a good person to sort of get maybe on an assistant role. But what what this season has shown me is that, you know, when he had this introductory press conference and he was saying all these things about analytics and going to other teams and learning off them and trying to adapt the way he thinks about basketball, he's actually done it. He's not just said it. He's actually went away and did all this, which is even more impressive to me because I know you've covered the NBA, you've watched the NBA. I'm a coach. Coaches are the most stubborn people in the world. (laughs) You know, you have a certain way of doing things and it takes a big man to admit when they've done a way, when when the way that they've done it previously is not working anymore. I feel like you need a lot of credit for that as well. Yeah, definitely. For switching up things, he's still a very, very defense-first coach, right? But if you look at his offensive principles, they're very, very different than they were in Indiana and certainly different than they were in Orlando. And Orlando is where he started to change things a little bit, started to shift to towards the new NBA. Because the NBA changed a ton between just the style of play. Um, you know, the Golden State Warriors helped push that. But the, the, the playing style in the NBA changed a lot in – that time between when he was coaching in Indiana and now, which we're only talking about, you know, six, seven years here. So it's changed a lot in a, in a short amount of time. You know, you go back and you rewatch like a Shaq Kobe Lakers game and it, it almost looks like a different sport because we've become so accustomed to the style of play that we see now. Uh, so things have changed a ton and give Vogel credit, like you said, for being flexible and being adaptable and, and changing with it and recognizing that he needed to to change his philosophies and change with it. So he's done a really good job at that, which is not easy. It's that's just that's human nature. It's difficult to change what we're used to and to try something new and to switch up what it is that um, that we're really good at and all of that. So um, you know, reinventing inventing himself, reinventing his offense, reinventing his his coaching philosophies. Uh, huge credit to Vogel, and like you mentioned, he has been using analytics. He frequently cites offensive rating, defensive rating, things like that. Um, again, impressive stuff. He's, he is embodying the concept of being a lifelong learner, and uh, and that's a, a great thing to see in a, in a head coach. No, I agree. And just to segue, one of the most important changes he made to the rotation was inserting Alex Caruso into it in the second game. And 
Alex Caruso, credit to him, took the chance and he just ran with it. How good has Alex Caruso been? Because, you know, we've had the, the Laker haters trying to make out that he's not been great, but I, I just love this guy so much. Yeah, so Alex Caruso has been tremendous. And if you look at the stat sheet, if you look at the box score, you go, eh, he's okay. He's just, he's all right. Right, because this isn't a guy that is blowing you away with his numbers or anything like that. If you look at just the the simple box scores, but you you, know, you mentioned that he's running away with the opportunity. This is what he does. This is a guy who went undrafted out of college. He had to fight his way up through the G League. So anytime you get an opportunity, you've got to be ready for it. And that's what he did last year when he came in and shot 48% from three. Now obviously he's not doing that this year, but he's actually shooting 35% from three right now. But look at it, you know just his counting stats. 5.7 points a game, two assists, two rebounds, 35% from three in 20 minutes per game. That doesn't sound special. That doesn't sound like a guy where you're thinking, hey, we need this guy on a team that's going to contend for a championship. And the reason why is because the things that he does well don't show up in a box score. So it's easy for fans of other teams. It's easy for people that aren't watching every game to brush off Alex Caruso and go, oh, he's not that great. He's not that special. Everybody's just you know, making a mockery of this. Why are we paying so much attention to this guy? But, and this is, this stat is about a week old. Uh, so to kind of take this with a little bit of grain of salt, that was the last time I looked at it. But about a week ago, Caruso was sitting fourth in the NBA among guards in defensive rating. Fourth. In the entire league. I mean, that's, that's incredible. That's amazing for a guy that is, that went undrafted to come in and play that kind of defense. And I've been encouraging fans who have, you know, listened to my show or, or read my writing Take a few plays every single game and just watch Alex Caruso on defense. Don't watch the ball. Kind of watch the area around him a little bit. Don't worry about it because we tend to, when we're watching defense, we watch the ball because the ball is what matters in the game. If the ball goes in the hoop, the other team scores. If it doesn't, you get the stop, right? So that's ultimately what matters in, in basketball. But watch Alex Caruso off the ball and you'll start to see the quiet brilliance and start to understand what makes him so valuable. Watch the way he defends. Watch the way his head is on a swivel. Watch the way he's calling out screens, the way he rotates, the way he helps, how efficient he is with all of his movements, the way that he slides his feet in front of the guys, he defends without fouling, all of these things he's doing at such a high level. And what I think is so impressive is that that's what the Lakers needed. He's adapted his game to focus on something that the Lakers really needed, and it's won him minutes. So I've been extremely impressed with Alex Caruso. No, he's not an all-star or anything like that, but this is exactly the kind of guy that the Lakers need and and could help them potentially win a championship if he's able to keep this up and the team's able to keep playing at this level. Oh, my! The biggest thing that I've seen is LeBron is firmly in the Alex Caruso camp, and while LeBron seems to love all his teammates, he only advocates for people like he advocates for Caruso when he believes they give him a legit chance to win a title. And I feel like LeBron is a much better basketball mind than anyone that I know. Mm-hmm. And if he believes that Caruso's a real deal, then certainly gets me to buy in a little bit more from the point where I've bought in, which is very high anyway, you know what I mean? But at the same time, having LeBron's, you know, validation as well means a lot for him. Yeah, that, that definitely doesn't hurt when you've got one of the best players of all time saying, hey, this guy's legit. And yeah, that that helps a little bit. <laughs> How crazy is it that 
we've done a, almost an entire podcast and not really talked about how good LeBron James has been. <laughs> That's how many good things are going well right now for for the Lakers. That's for sure. But, but uh, man. He certainly doesn't look like a guy that's a couple of weeks away from turning 35. He, he he's just athletically people going. He look. I don't. I don't even think he looks a step too slow anymore than what he did previously. I feel like he looks like he's in his peak athletically, which at 35 is just ludicrous. <laughs> yeah, he's. Um, look, we you know the the story that came out a few years ago was that he spends over a million dollars a year on his body. Right on, on making sure that he's taking care of his body and everything. And that's uh, that's not a surprise, really, but it, obviously it's paying off. This is the kind of thing that, that pays off for him. And actually, he did an interview today with um, Dave McMenamin from ESPN, um, or at least it came out today. And in that interview, he talked about uh, about sleep and how important sleep has been and how he realized how important that, that was. And so it's something he's been, been focusing on in terms of, of his recovery. This is a guy who is is locked in on keeping his body as ready as possible to compete at a high level. And it, and it shows. And that's why he is still, I mean, look, if you were to make a, a list of MVP candidates right now, LeBron and AD are both on that list. And LeBron is, you know, LeBron right now should be declining and he doesn't look like it. He's reinvented his game. You know, he's up there with Giannis, with AD. Uh, maybe you can say Luka Doncic is, is in there, right? Those are the, the players that we're talking about in the, in the MVP conversation at the moment. And LeBron, now playing point guard full-time, is leading the league in assists and has and his game's not all power-based anymore because he is a, a little bit older, but he has managed to be still effective even if he's lost a little bit of burst and he is still one of the most athletic players in the league. It's incredible, and I'm just, you know, fingers crossed that he's able to keep it up and keep uh, fighting off father time the way that he has. I just wanted to ask you about LeBron. You touched on it, so it was a nice little, I'm going to ask you this. If the Lakers, let's say, win 63 games, I'm going to say. If we win 63 games, we have the best record in the NBA. Is there a, in my opinion, I don't feel like there's a valid argument for LeBron not to be the MVP. The way he's reinvented himself, like you said. The way he's been so efficient, so good, both offensively and defensively. It's not just one way, it's been both ways. I feel like you can't look past him for the MVP if the Lakers have the best record in the NBA? I think that the problem you might run into with LeBron for for MVP, and not saying he's not worthy of it because I think he is, um, I think that the problem you could run into is splitting votes with Anthony Davis because they're both on the same team and they're both MVP candidates. I think you could, and you could go either way. You could call either one of them the MVP at this point. And so do you wind up in a situation where LeBron and AD split votes? I mean, some get, I look, it's a system where you get more points for getting first place votes than second place votes. And so if they're, if they're one, a one B in first and second, then I guess one of them ultimately would become MVP. But how many voters out there will discount LeBron's performance because he has AD and AD's performance because he has LeBron, whereas Giannis doesn't have that in, in Milwaukee. So does he get, a little bit extra in the minds of voters there. Um, James Harden, you can look at, at him, Luka Doncic. I mean, certainly, you know, Porzingis is good and everything, but but what he's doing. So you have to wonder if that's going to play a role in the vote. But, but bottom line, regardless of how the vote turns out, 
Yeah, right. I mean, you have to consider LeBron certainly one of the candidates to be MVP, maybe the favorite right now. And if the Lakers do win 63 games, it wouldn't surprise me at all if one of those two games, two guys becomes the MVP. Right now, it would come to my head, if I had to pick one of them, I'd probably go LeBron. But again, I think it'll be if one of them don't win it, it could be just the way the, the vote plays out more than one you know not being deserving. No, I agree. Um, I, and I think we'll, we can both agree on AD being the absolute front runner for Defensive Player of the Year. Yes. Yep. 100% agree with that. I don't think it's close either. I feel like it's, if especially if he continues playing like this, which I have no doubt that he will, I feel like he should be head and shoulders above the rest of the competition. Yeah, I think so too. I, I agree. I think that right now his defensive abilities have been so impressive out there on the floor. He's been been incredible. So, uh, yeah, and the Lakers are winning, and winning in part because of his defense. Look at how many players he's locked down in crunch time. I mean, look what he did to Nikola Jokic. <laughs> Killed him. Like, yeah, like you almost feel bad for Jokic. And this is, you know, a, a competitor in the Western Conference and everything. And you're just like, oh my gosh, like you can't score on this guy. And this guy's uh, a top Davis. 10 player in the NBA as well. It's not like we're talking oh. about a scrub there. Jokic His, is legit good. Yes. Yeah. He, well, I mean, he's out of shape right now. That's what we're, that what we're seeing, but still, um, he is, he has been incredible. He's won a few games with his defense down the stretch. So yeah, hundred percent agree. I think he is, if you were to make, to name the winner right now, it's Anthony Davis, and I don't think there's there's much of a question there. No, I agree. Just before we wrap things up, let's do a little bit of a preview. We have the Lakers bogey game next, as you know, everyone who's followed the Lakers for a long time has realized. At Orlando, I feel like that's the worst place to play for us. We've also got Miami after that and Atlanta. How do you think the next couple of games will go for us this this next week? Well, then why why is Orlando the worst place to play for them? We always lose. I, I can't remember us <laughs> winning. We always lose in Orlando. I wonder what, you know, I do wonder what the Dwight Howard reaction is going to be. What If Orlando is still going to have that kind of venom towards towards Dwight. I'd imagine probably, um, just based on the way he left there and everything. So we'll probably hear some boos from, from Dwight Howard. Hopefully they, you know, they don't spend a bunch of time at Disney World or anything. But uh, <laughs> yeah, look, look, Orlando, that's going to be a tough one. Uh, not that Orlando's been playing great this year or anything like that, but uh, but just you're going on the road. It's the first game of the road trip. You're you know you're playing in a place where I guess yeah I mean you have lost some games recently. So that's um, the here's the thing right. Re- regardless of where the Lakers go, regardless of who they play, that's the marquee matchup of the season, right? Like this yeah, this game with the Lakers in town in Orlando will probably be the highest price tickets on the market for the season for Orlando, right? It's going to be a sellout. It's going to, there's going to be Lakers fans there. Um, there's going to be a lot of magic fans too. So the magic know that the Lakers are going to get the magic's best punch. And that's true wherever they go. So teams that may not play that hard against some other squads, you know, like if, I don't know if the Portland trailblazers roll into Orlando the Magic aren't going to be up for that game the way they're up for a game against the Lakers. So you've got that factor too. So yeah, it could be tough, but ultimately, look, the Lakers are the better team and they've shown the ability to beat the teams they're, they're supposed to beat. They're like 16-0 and 0 against below 500 teams. And right now the Magic are 11-12 and 12 on the season. So I do expect the Lakers will get a win there. Miami will be a tough one. Miami's 17-6. Really good. Uh, yeah, they've, they've, been, they've been excellent. So that will be a more difficult one. Uh, for them to deal with, you know, they handled Miami 
Miami was trying to throw some zones at them and things like that. So they they handled them last time around. The Lakers did. But uh, but I wouldn't just assume that's going to be a win. And then you have the Hawks on on uh, Sunday. That should be a win as well, just in terms of just by talent. So I look at this road trip like it's tough that they're on the road for these first three. But I would I would think they should win these three. And that's when things then get kind of difficult. Then you go Pacers, who are a little bit of a, a step up, and then you do the big step up against the, the Milwaukee Bucks. So uh, I think that's where things get challenging. Yet, look, the Magic could surprise them. The Heat could surprise them. Same thing with the Hawks. But realistically, I, I would expect wins out of those three games. No, I agree. I've, all joking aside, I think Miami will be the by far the toughest game. Just a, it's amazing what Eric Spolstra does with one all-star level player and a really good supporting cast. He makes him into a legit conference contender, in my opinion. I don't know what you think, but I feel like Miami is a legit conference contender this year, you know, for the first time in a long while. Um, but I just checked. We've won in Orlando once in the past 12 years. Is that right? That's how what? bad it once in 2012, the last 13. That's almost time. Portland-esque, where we couldn't win a game in Portland forever. Wow, I didn't realize it was it's been that long. I, I couldn't I couldn't go. I, I just did it quickly. So I went back to 2007-8, and we won. So when just before Kobe tore his Achilles, that was the last time we won in Orlando. Well, they did win. They did defeat the the Magic in what 2009. Yeah, in the, the NBA championship. So they've got that over them. But oh, yeah, that's um. That's surprising. I don't. Maybe they've been going to Disney World every time. I don't. I don't know what to say about that. <laughs> Let's hope Dwight quarantines them before they do anything. Yeah, right. <laughs> Orlando nightlife is undefeated apparently. Only for the Lakers, though. Yeah, only for the Lakers. <laughs> well, I think will help is not having Vucevic. I feel like that's a huge miss for them. Yeah, yeah. That's um. He was a guy. He lit the Lakers up last season. He absolutely killed them. So that's um. You know that that will help them, but you hate to see it. You you hate to see a, a guy that talented. Um, He's so good. Hurt. He's really. Yeah. And he finally got paid as well, the money that he deserves, and he's finally getting the recognition that his game deserves because he's been fantastic for a long stretch now, in my opinion. Um, but you know, and I hope he gets back bet soon. But you know, at the same time, it seems like the Lakers keep on playing these teams at exactly the right time as well which yeah. seems to be very fortuitous fortuitous for us anyway. Yeah, I mean, you, you can't complain too much about it. I wish he was healthy, but obviously, you know, the Lakers will take not having to play him after uh, he lit them up last season. In fact, I think he even beat the Lakers at the buzzer one year. I don't remember if that was last year or the year before. Year before, I think it was. Yeah. Uh, last year, they, they beat us comprehensively in Orlando, and then it was sort of that time we played in second time round where LeBron was sitting and... Uh, Ingram and Zoe were out, so it was basically it was a wash game for us. Right. So because of that, you know, I'm not really counting that second game, but you know, hopefully we'll get rid of the bogey in Orlando. <laughs> we can only hope. <laughs> Go in and take care of that. Absolutely. Let's just wrap up, Trevor. A huge thank you for coming onto the pod again once more. If you can just plug uh, where people can find you, how they can reach you, and yeah, it's all that stuff. Your podcasts as well, you know, they're a fantastic listen. I, it's a must listen for me every time a podcast is out. I've subscribed, so yeah. Well, sure, yeah. Um, thanks, Alan. So we uh, we do the Lakers Nation podcast, and you can find that on Apple Podcasts. Or you can find it pretty much wherever you can find pod- podcasts, whether it's Spotify or Stitcher or whatever. We're we're all over the place. 
Uh, you can subscribe to us there. I also stream them live on YouTube, on Facebook, and on Periscope. So you can actually hop in and ask questions like during the show and everything, which has been uh, a lot of fun. And we also do the Lakers Nation postgame show. So after every game, we do a postgame show with uh, myself and, and one or more guests hop in there. And uh, and so we'll talk to fans. We go back and forth uh, via the chat and uh, and break down games and, and do all that kind of stuff. So that's also on YouTube, on Periscope, and on uh, Facebook Live. You can find us there um, on the Lakers Nation accounts. So at uh, Lakers Nation on uh, Twitter and, pay- and Facebook. And then uh, you can find us at the Lakers Nation YouTube channel as well. And then you can find all of my written work at LakersNation.com. And I think that about wraps it up. Yeah, I think that's that's everything at this point. That's all the different places you can you can find me. <laughs> no, and I just want to say thank you so much for coming on. I feel like whenever you come on, we always have a great chat. And, you know, it's, it's really it's really nice to be able to talk positively about the Lakers, no? Like absolutely it sure is it feels like it's been a long time but it's so nice not having to say well the lakers lost again but hey brandon ingram look look kind of good you know and i love brandon ingram but it's uh it's really nice being able to say gosh anthony davis just dominated that team and the lakers got a blowout win it's what a change <laughs> it's nice speaking of ingram he's been really good for the pelicans and i'm really happy has. to see it i'm for just sure. so happy well, anyway thank you so much for appearing once more Thank you, everyone, for listening. Please be sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Subscribe. Hit me up on alaramic 3 on Twitter. Subscribe to all the Trevor's stuff. Fantastic. Lakers Nation is, whenever you need any good stuff, Lakers Nation is the best place to go. It's the place where I go for all my Lakers stuff, so definite one. Have a good evening, guys. Take care.